not forget to set your clocks back or forward. It's forward, right? Yes. Sorry. Everyone likes to fall back. Who likes to spring forward? Me. Me too. Me too. I felt like I woke up late because it was an hour later on the clock than I normally wake up. But we're glad everyone could make it. Go ahead and turn your Bibles this morning to Isaiah chapter 17. Isaiah 17. And let's pray before we start. Lord God, once again, we thank you for this day that you've given us and this time carved out on a Sunday morning to focus on you. And pray, Lord, that we would let all those things that vie for our minds and our hearts and our time to just be laid aside. And we ask for your help in doing that, Lord God, that we might focus on your word and, what, and hearing what your spirit has to say to each and every one of us this morning. So we ask that you would do that now, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right. So the title of this morning's message is Forgetting God. So I wonder if there's anyone like me that always forgets where they left their keys, their wallet, and their phone. Is there anyone out there? Is it just me? Way up in the balcony. Right. (laughs) Down there. I forget those all the time. I sit it down and walk away. And if I don't put it in the, in the same spot as I usually do, I'm running around looking for it. And thankfully, technology helps us out nowadays. You know, we have an iPhone at our, at our house, or we all have iPhones. So my wife's able to find my phone for me and, you know, alert it. My wife's able to alert my phone so I can find it. Does anybody do that? Okay, good. We're on the same page. They also have little chips now they could put on your phone or some kind of app where you could find that, put it on your dog, put it, you know, the chip, so you don't lose things. Technology is really great for that. Not only that, you could set reminders in your phone, you could send yourself reminders, notifications, all types of things. Gone are the days where you, you know, tie a string around your finger to help you remember something and then you would forget why that was there. That was a long time ago. I always I think of the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, where the guy has that little thing tied around his, he has a bunch of them tied around his finger, and he's always forgetting things. So, but those are minor things to forget. There are worse things to forget than your wallet or your phone. If you forget a doctor's appointment, that could be a pretty big deal. I know my doctor or my dentist specifically sends me a text to remind me when my dentist appointment is. Or have you ever forgot, you don't have to raise your hand, your spouse's birthday? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand, right? That's a big one. I've never done it, so I've never done it. I've forgotten my mom's birthday once. That was pretty bad. I don't think she knew that, or she did, and she's just been so kind and has never brought that up to me. What about God? Can you forget about God? Is that possible? When I think about forgetting about God, I think of Mary and Joseph. They might be the only ones who literally, physically forgot about God, leaving their son Jesus in the temple. You know, they both take off in the caravan. They're gone a few days, and they look around saying, hey, is Jesus with you? No. Is he with you? No. And they start looking for him, and they forgot Jesus. But can we forget about God? In today's text, we're going to see that people can actually forget about God. And forgetting God, we'll find out this morning, never ends good for those who forgot Him. The comforting and encouraging thing is that there's always ways to keep ourselves from forgetting about Him. And no, it's not an app. 
there's no notification on your phone that, hey, did you, you just forgot God. Wouldn't that be cool if every time you, just, you were thinking of something that you shouldn't or didn't do something that you shouldn't, that your phone went off and said you're forgetting about God? Who would, who would download that? I'll admit, I would. There's no app for God. Or is there? Is there an app? I was thinking of that this morning, that the prophet Isaiah is actually like an app for the nation of Israel. He's always popping up, letting know, Israel, you're forgetting about God. That's actually the job of the prophets. They're covenant enforcers. They're always letting Israel know when they forget about God. And they're constantly warning them. So yeah, the prophet Isaiah is actually an app that notifies the people that they're forgetting about God. And so we're going to look at that this morning in the text, how he alerts Judah that they are forgetting God. And he does this by way of prophecies that we've been looking at. And he does it this morning in the way of a prophecy concerning the kingdom of Syria. Now remember, as I've been saying every week here, chapters 13 through 23 are warning signs. They're notifications, if you will, to Judah that they cannot trust in the world powers around them. For God is ultimately going to humble them and humble these kingdoms. He's telling Judah to return and trust in the Lord who is greater than any earthly kingdom or power. That's what he's doing as we look through these chapters. So this morning, let's look at the prophecy concerning Syria. And that starts, we're going to read the whole chapter, chapter 17. It says this. So we're going to go through it. And as we go along, I'll explain what's going on. Let's read the first three verses. As the Lord is going to bring judgment upon Damascus, it says, which is the capital city of the Syrian Empire. So don't mistake that for Assyria. You have Syria and Assyria, two different empires. And so let's read this real fast in verses 1 through 3. And it came about, oh, I'm in Chronicles. Hello. It sounded like Isaiah, didn't it? Then I saw the name David. I go, oh, that's not going to work. David's long gone at this time. Okay, here we go. The oracle concerning Damascus. Behold, Damascus is about to be removed from being a city and will become a fallen ruin. The cities of Aurora are forsaken. They will be for flocks to lie down in, and there will be no one to frighten them. The fortified city will disappear from Ephraim, and the sovereignty from Damascus and the remnant of Aram. They will be like the glory of the sons of Israel, declares the Lord of hosts. So right away here in these first three verses, we see that the Lord is bringing judgment on Damascus. Again, Damascus is the capital city of Syria. This is one of the most powerful empires at the time. They're not power, more powerful than Assyria, as we'll see. And so the Lord is saying through the prophet Isaiah that this powerful empire to the north, which is actually to the north of Judah, is going to be destroyed. Their cities are going to be forsaken, and the prophet even says that the cattle are going to roam freely, and there's going to be nobody left to like shoo them away. They're just going to be roaming around. It's like a ghost town with a bunch of cattle there. But then the Lord says something here through the prophet Isaiah. If you notice in verse 3, 
He says the Lord, the, the Lord is going to include Ephraim in the judgment of the Syrian Empire. Now, if you know, Ephraim is in the northern, as a northern tribe of Israel. Remember, at this time, there's two parts of Israel. There's Judah in the south and Israel in the north. And one of those tribes within Israel is Ephraim. And so at the beginning, it says this is a judgment on Damascus. And then Isaiah includes Ephraim. Why is that? Well, back in Isaiah chapter 7, you don't need to turn. Well, we'll turn there in a minute. Actually, let's turn there now because I want to show you something. In Isaiah chapter 7, you are going to see this prophecy that Isaiah was giving to Ahaz about the coming Syria invasion, and they join up with Israel to attack Judah. It says this, Now it came about in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Aram, which is in Syria, Pekah, the son of Remelah, king of Israel. So Pekah and Rezin are going to join together. They're going to join forces. And it says, They went up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not conquer it. When it was reported to the house of David, saying, The Arameans have camped in Ephraim, his heart and the hearts of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake with wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now to meet Ahaz, you and your son, Shear Jeshub, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field, and say to him, Take care and be calm, have no fear, and do not be faint-hearted, because of these two stubs of smoldering firebands on account of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Remelah. So that's why he's including it, because there was a point in history where Damascus and Ephraim, or northern Israel, are going to attack Judah. And so God is saying there's going to be judgment on these two for attacking the remnant of God, or attacking God's people in the south. So throughout this prophecy from this point forward, both Damascus and Ephraim are are represented here. They represent their empires by the names of their cities, and they are both included in this judgment. And the Lord's judgment, going back to our text now, is going to leave both kingdoms powerless, as it says in verse 3. Look at verse 3 again at the end. He says, In the remnant of Aram... They will be like the glory of the sons of Israel, declares the Lord of hosts. Israel's glory is not glory at all. As the prophet will continue to describe, they're going to be face judgment by God. So let's move on to look at verses 4 through 6 now. As he describes how Israel's glory is going to be faded. He says, now, that, now in that day, the glory of Jacob, meaning Israel, will fade away. And the fatness of his flesh will become lean. It will, even, it will be even like the reaper gathering the standing grain as his arm harvests the ears. Or it will be like one gleaning ears of grain in the valley of Rephaim. Yet gleanings will be left in it like a shaking of an olive tree. Two or three olives on the topmost bow. Four or five on the branches of a fruitful tree declares the Lord God of Israel. So here Isaiah depicts how the glory of Jacob, the northern Israel, will fade and be humbled. He says they're, 
They will go from being well-fed to starvation. That's the depiction he gives in the poetic language. Jacob's glory is going to be stripped from them. Their fields will lack production. Or they'll contain just enough so that there's maybe like two or three olives left on the tree. But they're on the very top and it's hard for the people to gather. Signifying the struggle that it will be because of God's judgment on Damascus and northern Israel. And let's move on, verse 7 through 9. Here, Isaiah depicts how this judgment will bring about repentance. How God's judgment will bring about repentance. Look at what it says in verse 7. So in that day, when the judgment comes, in that day man will regard his maker, and his eyes will look to the Holy One of Israel. He will not have regard for the altars, the works of his hands, nor will he look to that which his fingers have made, even the asherim and incense stands. In that day their strong cities will be like forsaken places in the forest, or like branches which they have abandoned before the sons of Israel, and the land will be a desolation. So again, Jake, or, uh, Isaiah is describing what's going to happen after this judgment. Because part of judgment, right, when we've been seeing through Isaiah, and even as you know about God, is to, the ultimate goal for God is to correct his people. And so Isaiah is saying this is what's going to happen. In that day, there are going to be some that come to their senses and realize, you know what, I need to turn from God. They listen to that notification that they're forsaking God. And this is what Isaiah is describing. He says, man will have a regard that will turn or return to the Lord. Man's eyes will look to the Holy One of Israel because they realize what's going on in their life. They will no longer have regard for the gods that they have created here or things that they look to for safety and security. And Isaiah points out three of them in the text. He points out altars, which were to foreign gods, Asherim, which was a fertility goddess that they would worship, and incense stands, symbolizing the prayers. So they're no longer going to trust in those things. They're going to forsake those things and return to God. And then again, as Isaiah closes in verse 9, he again stresses the catalyst for man returning to the Lord. Again, it's the destruction of their cities and their destructions of the land where God humbles them so much so that they can do nothing but return to God. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen with all people when they're disciplined, right? It takes them more discipline to learn. And again, you're going to see that over and over in the book of Isaiah as he is warning Israel of the coming judgment. Let's look at verses 10 through 11, or 10 and 11 now. As Isaiah explains the reasons for this coming judgment, he says this, For you have forgotten the God of your salvation. This is why this judgment's coming, because they've forgotten God. Look at what it says, continue on in verse 10, and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. Therefore you plant delightful plants and set them with vine slips of a strange God, speaking of idol worship. In that day that you plant it, you carefully fence it in, and in the morning you bring your seed to blossom, but the harvest will be a heap and in a day of sickliness and incurable pain. So again here, Isaiah is explaining why this judgment's coming. Israel has forgotten the God who has and can save them, he says. Israel doesn't remember that God is their refuge. In fact, they've gone out and planted 
other gods in the vineyards and in the high places. Israel has forgotten God so much that they've created false gods. And they have gone off to worship and serve them. You see, forgetting God isn't an accident. You don't just go, oh, I forgot about God there for a second. It's not a momentary slip of the mind that we're talking about here. It's not like forgetting where I left my keys. Isaiah is depicting a total abandonment of following him and following something else. So when you hear when I talk about forgetting God, that's what, that's what I mean, is that you leave God behind to go and serve something else. This is how far Israel has gone. They've totally forgotten their God, and they're worshiping other gods. The God of Israel at this time is more like their national identity. Oh, we're Israelites, so we worship Yahweh, but we also worship all these other gods and all the lands that we are in. And so again, forgetting God is not just in their mind, it's in their actions. It's in their actions. Therefore, the works of their hands, God says here in the text, has come to nothing. Since they've forgotten God, as a matter of fact, God is going to forget them and let the works of their hands come to nothing, he says. You're going to go out and plant, you're going to fence it in, it's going to be nothing. All the work that you're doing because you're putting trust in these things. Let me just issue a small warning here. Don't mistake temporary prosperity if you're not following the Lord as divine favor. Don't think, well, God hasn't done anything to me yet, so I guess what I'm doing is okay. You know, I'm good with God. Again, don't mistake temporary prosperity with divine favor or that uh, God doesn't care how you're living. You see, God's common grace shines on all people. Right? Believer and non-believer. That's why the psalmist will say, oh, look how the, not, you know, the wicked prosper. Why do they prosper and I'm suffering? And maybe you think that sometimes. You know, I go to church. I believe in God. I follow God. I gave up this or that. But this guy over here does everything that God says not to do and it looks like he's prospering. Why is that? We don't know the Lord's will in every situation of a person's life. Let me just add that. It could be that the Lord is using that situation to draw the person to himself, right? Prospering somebody so that eventually they'll wake up and see that it's God that's allowed them to prosper. Or punishing them so they'll wake up and see that it is God who has punished them. We don't know. We don't know what God is doing. Or it could be that God is allowing that to happen, whatever it is in a person's life so that they resolve to stay in the sin that they're already in because they've already rejected God. And so God's allowing them to go on on their own and continually reject Him. And He's just given up on them. So we don't know. So we continue to warn all people about it. We don't know what God is doing in somebody's life. As Mike said earlier in the announcement, we just keep praying for that person. Even if they've said, I don't want to follow God, I'm never coming to church I don't believe in God. I remember as a non-believer, I said that to the person that was witnessing to me. Oh, you're just kissing God's butt. That's why you go to church. I said that. Me, the pastor of a church, said that. Are you just trying to get in good favor with God? I don't believe in God. You never know what God is going to do. So don't give up praying for that person. They may end up being a pastor of a church in Corona. You never know. You never know. Remember, I wasn't as bad as the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was killing Christians. 
And look at him. He wrote most of the letters in the New Testament. So you never know what God's going to do in somebody's life. You just keep praying. So let's go on to verse 12. In verse 12 through 14, as we close the text, Isaiah speaks to destruction that will come upon all those who harm his people. So we talked about here that destruction is going to come to Damascus and to Israel, who are God's chosen people. But in verses 12 through 14, Hezek says, you know what? Assyria, now this is where he's mentioning Assyria, because Assyria is coming to attack Syria, and Assyria is going to attack Israel, and eventually going to attack Judah. And God here offers a promise and a warning for all those who attack his people, his remnant. And this is what verse 12 through 14 is talking about. He says, Alas, the uproar of many peoples who roar like the roaring of the seas and the rumbling of nations who rush on like the rumbling of mighty waters. The nations rumble on like the rumbling of many waters. But he will rebuke them and they will flee far away and be chased like chaff in the mountains before the wind or like whirling dust before a gale. At evening time, behold, there is terror before morning They are no more. Such will be the portion of those who plunder us and the lot of those who pillage us. Isaiah is saying, hey, God's promising that he is going to ultimately protect us. He may allow temporary judgment, temporary discipline, but ultimately he's going to save his people. He will ultimately rebuke those who attack his people. He will chase them away and he will bring about a new morning, he's saying. Isaiah's point is that God is in control of all these things, even of divine judgment, and he will save his remnant. So let me just say this. No matter what wave of destruction is heading your way, no matter what wave of destruction you may feel like you're in right now, if you are God's chosen, he will ultimately save you from them. He will save you no matter what's going on, no matter how bad it looks. God's promise is that he is going to save his people. And so that's Isaiah chapter 17. But because we have like 20 minutes left, we're going to have some application. No, there's application. Again, I started off saying, talking about forgetting God. And we see what happens to those who forget God. So let's ask a few questions as we close with some application. How do people forget about God? And and what does forgetting God actually look like? As I mentioned earlier, is it purely a mental activity? Is it like, oops, I forgot about God, sorry. Didn't, Didn't see you there, God. Didn't know you were there, God. Or is it behavioral? Is it the way that you act? Well, turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy And let's look at chapter 8 and look at verses 11 through 20 where God actually issues all these warnings about forgetting about him. So this was Israel's history here, the very beginning before they actually went into the promised land. And in Deuteronomy, the whole chapter is really good, but I want to focus just on 11 through 20. And again... What we're going to point out here is how do people forget about God? And you might even ask yourself that. Maybe you fall into one of these categories here. Starting in verse 11, Moses writes, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. So right away, don't forget God. 
Well, how would we do that, Moses? Moses has an answer. Do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. So let's stop there. So the way that we don't forget about God, again, it's not mental, it's behavioral. People, I mean, people forget about God by not doing what God has called them to do. Or they just don't care what God says and do, what, and do exactly the opposite and don't listen to Him. They're not obedient is the point. People just live the way that they want. It doesn't matter what God says. They disregard it. That's forgetting about God. If you in your heart have a complete disregard for what the Lord says... Then you've forgotten God. That's not like a momentary slip when you sin against God. So if you're a believer, don't think, that's me. Think, whew, I'm safe there. Right? If, but if you're sitting here this morning, you think, you know, I don't really care what you say, and I'm glad you only have 20 minutes, then you've forgotten about God. And this is for you. So to forget about God is that you don't obey, you're not obedient to him. Verses 12 through 7 are going to point out that people that forget about God, they don't acknowledge his presence in their life. Let's look at verses 12 through 17 of Deuteronomy 8. It says this, Otherwise, meaning if you're not doing the statutes, when you've eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply, and that you... And all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of flint. In the wilderness, he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you are in the end, or for you in the end. Otherwise you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. You see, he's depicting, he's like recounting, remember all that the Lord had done for you. And if you forget about him, you're going to forget that he provided for you, that he protected you, that he has the power to do all these things, and you're going to claim them for yourself, which is the result of somebody forgetting God is they become prideful. That's what it says in verse 17. Otherwise, you may, forget, you may say in your heart, my power, my strength, and my hand made me this wealth. That's what somebody who forgets God says. I don't need God. I'm healthy. I'm young. I'm strong. I have my, the whole world ahead of me. I don't need God. What do I need God for? It's you people that are old and are about to die that need God. You're scared. Forgetting that God, did you create yourself? No. Do you make your heart beat every day? No, it's nothing you've done. The most healthiest people have heart attacks, unfortunately. Healthy people can get cancer. There's nothing you could do. I mean, you try to eat right, exercise, and do all those things, but in the end, what happens? We all still die. So don't become too proud and of what you have. Praise God if you're healthy, wealthy, and wise. Praise God. 
But the result of forgetting about God is that you take credit for it and you take the credit away from the Lord, the God who made you. And as a result, you know, it doesn't just stop there. Look at what Moses says in verse 18. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who has given you power to make you wealth, and that he may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And it shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God. This is the end result of people who forget about God. If you ever forget about the Lord your God and you go after other gods, serve them and worship them, I testify against you today that you surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord God makes perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. The result of forgetting about God is you become prideful. You go and serve something else, even though you don't think you do. You go and serve the God of wealth, the God of health, the God of self, the God of entertainment. You name it, whatever is your focus, it takes you away from the Lord. That is your God. That's what Moses is telling Israel. And by us, extension, we can worship all those things. You might not think you worship them, but what do you spend your most time on, your thoughts on? What do you wake up looking forward to do all the time? That may be your God. Be careful. Because what's going to happen to that person? It says at the very end, the Lord your God, you will perish. Basically, the Lord's going to forget about you. The Lord's going to forget about you. And I want to show you this sad reality in the book of Romans. Turn with me to the book of Romans. Chapter 1, verse 18. This is the Apostle Paul explaining what happens to those who forget God in the New Testament. Very vivid destruction. Description, I'm sorry. This is what he says. Romans 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Against what? Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who do what? Who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Basically because they forget God. They act like God doesn't exist. Look at verse 19. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what have been made, so that they are without excuse. The Apostle Paul is making the case against everybody who's ever lived in this world that they know there's a God. They might not know it's the God of the Bible at the time, but they know there's a God. There's no excuse. And so what happens? Because they forget him, verse 21 says, For even though they know God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they, came, they become futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So that's the progression of a constant rejection of God. Going on, verse 22, Professing to be wise, they become foolish, and exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of the corrupted man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. So again, they've rejected God like we've been, we looked in Isaiah and in Deuteronomy. And they've gone and served something else, either themselves or foreign gods. 
And so what happens? Now we see what happens. God gives them over. It says, therefore, God gave them over. God forgets about them. This is happening now. When people totally reject God, God says, fine, you want to reject me? I'm going to reject you. He gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, whatever that lie, you fill it in. They worshiped and served the creatures rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So they forsake the real God and they go and serve something else. You name it, whatever they're serving, he says, that's what they've done. And I've allowed them to do that because they keep pushing me out. He says, you go and do that. And he continues on and shows what kinds of sins he's allowing them to do because they've totally rejected God. Look at verse 26. For this reason, what reason? Because they've rejected God. God gave them over to degrading passions. For the women exchanged the natural function for which was unnatural. And in the same way, also men abandoned in their natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their heir. Do you guys see what he's talking about? This is the sin that's prevalent in our society now. He's, God has given up on American society, I would think, as we continue to serve ourselves and each other and given out to sexual perversion. Men with men, exchanging the use of a woman and using a man instead is what the Apostle Paul says. Going on. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. That's what's going on in American society today. God has given, he said, fine, you guys don't want me? You guys do what you want. And that's what we see. That's the result of forgetting about God. You go and serve something else. And you delve into all kinds of sin that is not proper, the Apostle Paul says. So what's the result of forgetting about God? People become prideful. People follow and serve other gods. And the Lord will say, it's fine. You have your way and do what you want. Basically, all restraints are off. So that's the bad news. The good news is, well, well, how can we keep from going that way? How can we keep from God giving up on us? What apps can we install, install in, our, in our life, right? Now we want that app. I want that app that says don't go this way. Well, I'm just going to give you three as we close this morning. Number one, make it your desire to follow after God. Is your desire to follow after God? If it's not, then I pray that you will. Right? The more that you desire to follow God, you're not going to forget about him. I like the book of Psalm, verse 19. Psalm 119, I'm sorry, is like one of my favorite psalms because every verse, almost every verse, talks about the Word of God in some way. And in Psalm 119, starting in verse 9, look at what the psalmist says. How can a young man keep his way pure? So how do I stay pure? How do I stay focused on God? The answer is by keeping By keeping it according to your word. It's the behavior. 
With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O God. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told of the, all the ordinances of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimony as much in all riches. I will meditate upon your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statute. I shall not forget your word. You forget God when you forget his ways. You don't want to forget God, then stay focused on him. Again, make him your desire. We need to ask ourselves, do I desire the word of God? Do I love the Lord? Do I want to follow him? It doesn't say you do it properly. We, none of us do it properly all the time. right? Sometimes we you know, forget God or forget about him. But our ultimate desire is like we want to be close to the Lord. I think that's why you're here this morning. It's like, I want, to, I want to worship God. I want to fellowship with the church. I want to hear from the word of God. So do you make it your desire to follow after the Lord? How does a person keep from forgetting about God? Number two, recognize the Lord's blessing in your life. Remember, part of the problem in Isaiah's day in the book of Deuteronomy, and then in Romans, is the people forgot about God and what he was doing in their life. They claimed responsibility for all that they have. But no, we need to recognize the Lord's blessings. That's saying to yourself, all that I have is because of what the Lord has given me. The reason I'm alive today is because the Lord has given me breath. The reason I have three children and a wife is because of what the Lord has given me. The reason I made it to church is because I, you know, Lord didn't allow a car to hit me or something like that. You never know what's going to happen. Do you recognize the blessings in your life? Or do you say, you know what, I, I have this great job because I'm so smart and, and I knew the right people when I went to school, which is great, and uh, I did it all. I'm the one that made myself learn all these things. That would be the opposite. Someone that doesn't want to forget about God is constantly reminding themselves of the Lord's blessings in their life. That helps you stay humble. Thirdly and lastly, how can a person keep from forgetting about God? Praise the Lord for the blessings in your life. That means being thankful. I, you know, not just recognizing what you have, but being thankful that you have it. We are blessed. We live in a blessed society, a blessed time of world history a blessed part of the world. You know, we should be thankful for what we have. Being thankful in your words and your deeds, that means telling the Lord that you're thankful, declaring it to the Lord out loud. And that, that comes in two forms. Number one, it's prayers of thanksgiving. How often do you thank the Lord for what you have? I'm guilty of it too. I'm real quick to pray to God what I don't have or what I want. But how often do we stop and, you know, just thank the Lord for what you have? You know, even, even just something as simple as food. How often do you just rush into your food? I'm not saying you have to pray every time you eat something, you know. But just, I mean, you should be thankful that we even have food in the refrigerator, in the cabinet. That that was the Lord's doing. The Lord's blessed our land with rain and technology and a smart people that can do all these types of things that allow us to just live a good life. We should be thankful for what we have. 
So being thankful means telling the Lord and then declaring it, worshiping the Lord. Think about the words that we sung a few moments ago. You're declaring to the Lord that you're thankful that he raised your life up from the dead. Think of that. He raised your life up from the dead. He paid the price for you. He didn't have to, but he chose to. That people that do those things are people that stay close to God. So you guys are all in, in, on the right path. We're all on the right path. We're, we're desiring to follow after God by, by reading his word, by wanting to, to do what he called us to do, by recognizing all that we have comes from the Lord, and then by declaring it, thanking God for it, and then praising him for it. So let's do that now. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you once again for your word. As we've seen this morning, that is, is our app. Your word is our app of warning that we're forgetting about you. And the more that we're into your word, the more that we hear from you, the more that we can be corrected and warned of when we are starting to fall away or doing things that we should not be doing. Your word corrects us and encourages us and it reminds us of how much you love us. And so we thank you for that, Lord. But Lord, we want to praise you in a moment and declare to you how awesome you are and demonstrate our thankfulness to you in the words that we sing about all that you've done for us, that you've given us, and all that you will do. And I also want to pray this morning, Lord God, if there's anybody in this room this morning who has forgotten about you, who maybe fits the description of some of the scriptures this morning, that they've just abandoned you and are doing what they want to do. I pray, Lord, that if they hear your voice, that they would turn, that they would regard the Lord God of their salvation and come to you this morning. And we pray this, Lord, and thank you for another opportunity to worship you and to follow you. And we pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.